Three, two, one, and welcome everybody to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. I am your humble host, John Allen. Humble but happy. And looking forward to this conversation I'm about to have with Miss Catherine Dumas and Miss Sita Lozov. Hello, ladies. Hello. Good morning. Yeah, good. It's afternoon here and morning over there in uh, the beautiful state of North Carolina. Um, I lived there for a while. I was uh, four years active duty in the U.S. Marines, and I finished up in Jacksonville at Camp Lejeune. And uh-huh. I, I lived outside of Jacksonville for, I don't know, about 18 months, maybe two years. And since then, so you I'm, know what a beautiful state it is. I have to tell you, I, um, well, when I later ended up in the Chicago suburbs uh, and married my wife, my crazy little Norwegian wife, and I wanted to take her on a trip, a, a long road trip, just to show her what the United States was all about. And you know what my number one destination to show her was? North Carolina. Uh, so we took uh, we took 77 down and then i believe when we hit i-40 we took it west and uh yeah you know so that whole area in north carolina and, uh, and also also eastern tennessee so I'm quite, oh, I'm, 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 I'm quite familiar with North Carolina. I love it there, and I miss it. I miss it very much. <laughs> but enough about, my, uh, enough about my travels. <laughs> I am so interested in the Human Kindness Foundation. Um, and I know that there is a rather interesting story, what I thought was an interesting story, about how the whole thing came about. So maybe, Sita, you can tell me, how did the Human Kindness Foundation start? Well, I'd love to share that with you and your listeners. Um, Please. In 1973, uh, our brother-in-law, Pete, got a sentence of 12 to 40 in federal prison for smuggling marijuana. Now, that may seem like a steep sentence, Uh, But it was the second time, the first time he got probation and the second time uh, he was caught coming in front of the same judge who they don't really like it when they give you probation and you do the same thing again. Right. So So he he got 12. He got 12 to 40 and uh, Bo and I and our then two year old son went up to Terre Haute, Indiana, and visited him. Um, And it was the first time we had ever been connected to a prison or into a prison and all that. And and it was uh, quite eye-opening. And uh, on the ride home, I remember Bo saying, I might have some work to do inside prisons or with people in prison. I just feel some kind of a connection. Uh, to them, so now he was just moved. Thing, so he was just moved and inspired to just jump right into that. Well, I will tell you how that all happened. Yeah, uh, he just he felt he felt a connection, you know. And but that same that very same year is uh, we read the book "Be Here Now," which was uh, written by the American uh, spiritual teacher Ram Dass. And it was an extremely famous book in our country at that time. And Ram Dass was starting to put copies of Be Here Now into prison libraries all over the country. And he was starting to get letters back from people in prison. And so this was this was the connection when he came down. You know, we we at that time were so moved by be here now that we invited him to come down and give a talk at Duke University. And now he what was did your, that. Now what was your connection to Duke University? Were you teaching there? Nothing. It was just a place for him to give a talk, you know. Uh, and Bo is or was that kind of a guy, he's going to go to the top place. Now, what line of work was, get this thing done. What, what line of work was Bowen at the time? Uh, we, that's a very good question. 
<laughs> I don't believe I've ever been asked that. <laughs> uh, we did odd, odd, odd things. We had we we grew uh, little bedding plants, and you know we had a farm, and we you know we did this and that. We boarded horses, but but we basically lived on a farm and did what we could to to stay on that farm. And okay. and, and I wouldn't call it a line of work. It was just a lifestyle. Okay. That we had more than a, lo- a line of work. So, um, so as I said, we invited uh, Ram Dass down to speak at Duke, uh, where we had no connection. It was just uh, a place. <laughs> and, um, and he said yes. So he came down December of 1973. And at that time, he, uh, Bo told him that he, we had just visited our brother-in-law and he felt some kind of connection. And Ramdas said, well, I'm starting to get letters from people in prison as a result of Be Here Now's in prisons all over the country. Will you take these letters? Uh, and that, my dear uh, friend John, was the birth of the Prison Ashram Project. Very interesting. So both started, uh, both started writing letters and more letters and and on and on and on. And we wrote. Um, he wrote a, a small book uh, called Inside Out. And I would say I joined the project around mid uh, mid seventies when our our little boy was old enough to go to school and you know that kind okay. of thing. So I became part, even though I did have pen pals. But I mostly joined the project. I would say in um, in December, and um, and that's how the project began. And uh, and here we are. You know, there's a lot of interesting little snippets uh, in that story about how things got started. Uh, what interested me was the way in which you. Because I can, I can imagine, just thinking through my own life and, and thinking of some of the friends that I have, they get this little idea, this little inspiration to do something, but they might be intimidated because the person they need to contact is, is, is you know, important or, or, or semi-famous, and maybe they feel like that's out of reach. But you and Bo just made that contact you took that step and you made that contact with rom and look what it led to so you didn't and that's let- a yeah that's a lovely way to put it but you didn't know Bo. that was nothing <laughs> that was nothing for him to do that's that was his nature a little, and his little adventurous a little- i actually read be here now first and i turned him on to the book so that was more my thing and that's the way we continued probably through our whole um our whole time together as part of prison ashram project human kindness foundation is that i was more comfortable just being in the background and uh and he had that energy that um that was kind of electric and he just went went for it so it went from an idea just a thought that fell into his mind as uh you know you're in that process of visiting uh at the prison and then this thought falls into his mind that he has work to do was it inspired by something concrete or was it just one of those things that just happened where the inspiration just hits you full force and you don't really understand where it came from or why? Well, um, we feel like inspiration does come from God. You know, that it is, you know, that that's where how things get inspired is that we are guided. We put ourselves out there and with a willingness to be guided. And um, I, I would say that he he felt guided. You know, he may not have had the words for it at that time, yes. uh, but we certainly had the words for it uh, later and continue to. You know, we have guidance. I do believe that uh, that all inspiration is is uh, divinely inspired. Absolutely. And and just like you said, I also believe that sometimes the vision isn't clear, but you just know you have a rough idea and you know you just have to get started. And if you keep on right. walking down the road, the vision will get clear, the fog will clear off, and all of a sudden you're going to see where you need to go and what you hopefully will end up doing. 
but that inspiration should always be acted on. That's lovely, John. That's a lovely way to put it. And of course, one of the parts of the word inspiration is spirit. Yeah, absolutely. So there it is. We've, we've all, we're all kind of inspired in that way. And, you know, let me ask you something, Catherine. What would you say to the person? Uh, well, you know, as, as Sita said, and as I agree, uh, I, I believe that inspiration is is uh, it, it comes from the divine. It comes from God. Uh, but what do you say to the person who claims to not be spiritual? Uh, they say they're not religious. They say they don't, they don't believe in God. Where do they get their inspiration from? Well, uh, that is a great question for our organization because as an interfaith organization, uh, Bo used to sometimes say we're interfaith, not no faith. I see. Uh, in other words, uh, he was interested mostly in, in people finding what does inspire them, regardless of how they define it. Uh, and and very deeply interfaith. In, in other words, some, some people use the term interfaith to sort of mean a tolerance for other faiths. That's not at all how we see it. Uh, starting with Bo's work and continuing, like Sita said, to, to our current work, it's interfaith to us means truly drawing from and deeply respecting all the great religions. And these days, that has kind of expanded to, we do have supporters who are atheists. We have uh, one wonderful long-time volunteer who has been so tremendously valuable to us. I'm going to say his name because he deserves a shout-out. His name is Mark Hutchinson, and he is an atheist. Hi, Mark. Um, he's wonderful, and he's a very deeply ethical person, compassionate person. He cares about the world. He cares about other people. He does not express it in terms that we would think of as spiritual. Now, does that mean he's not spiritual? I don't think so, and and I'd have to ask him for more detail on how he would answer that question, but I do know that he identifies as an atheist. And, uh, and yet spends enormous amounts of time helping us out at this organization that is all about spirituality. Uh, so he's just one example, and there are others. That's very interesting that you, um, you laid out the distinction that you don't tolerate, if I can put it in quotes, you don't tolerate uh, religion. You're not religious. Um, how do I say this? Uh, 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 you're not religious, religion tolerant. In other words, because to tolerate implies that you think there's something wrong with it, but okay, you'll, you'll accept it. Whereas when you say that you are accepting or you're open or you're interfaith, that is a completely, that puts a completely different shine on the entire foundation, which I think is very interesting. I want to say when I was doing my research that you have, um, uh, advisors or cooperation with both priests, rabbis, imams. Is that is that uh, is that correct? Absolutely, yeah. with Buddhist teachers, Buddhist, with yeah. with yes, every every type of faith is represented to the best we can. Now, you know, we have maybe deeper connections in some communities than we do in others. That's sure. just our own limitation that, sure. of who we are and who we know. But we, when we notice a weakness, we do try to reach out to that community. Uh, for example, a number of years ago, uh, I started noticing that we really didn't know a lot about Islam. <laughs> In, in the sense that the people who make up Human Kindness Foundation happen to come from a variety of traditions, but that did not include a Muslim. So we started making an effort to reach out. I've met with some of the local imams in, in the Durham area. I've reached out to some people at Duke University. Omid Safi is, uh, is a wonderfully beautiful um, poet and teacher at, at Duke who is a Muslim. So, and we've used some of his writing. He gave us permission to use some of his writing in our newsletter. So in those ways, we actively reach out if we see a weakness. Um, but, but absolutely, it, it's really how the whole foundation, the, the basis of the foundation. Bo wrote a book in 1985, and it's still our best known book it's still the one we send out the most frequently the title of the book is we're all doing all time, time. Yeah. 
we're all doing time. And we're about to print. Sita, remind me, is it the 22nd printing that's coming up? It is 22nd. And, and that will put us over the half a million mark of books, of that book that we've printed. Wow, fantastic. And the whole foundation of that, yeah, isn't that exciting? Um, the foundation of that book is that Bo had the goal of looking at what every great tradition has in common. Uh, what is it that every great tradition agrees on? Let's focus on that. And there is a and lot he- to agree on, actually. Um, Absolutely. I wish There's more people. I wish more people knew that. I think we'd have a lot less suffering, a lot less combativeness in the world if more people would realize that. Right. So Bo wrote that book with that in mind, and with a also with what he had in mind was the audience for that book was people who were incarcerated. So combining all the great traditions and what Bo had learned, and he studied them deeply what he had learned from the great traditions, what he had learned from other elders and teachers of his, and his experience writing to people who were in prisons and jails. By that time, he had been writing to them for quite a few years and also visiting in and teaching inside prisons. So he had a rich understanding of prison life as well as a rich understanding of spiritual life, again, represented by all the traditions. So that book although it was specifically written for people in prison, it has reached a lot more people than that. It, it, most of the copies that we send out go out free to people who are in jails or prisons. Mm. But we also sell the book. We sell it as an e-book. It was written in 1985. People who weren't even born yet in 1985 are getting excited about this book. So it seems That's just sort fantastic. Of yes, it's, it's amazing, really. I haven't it had time to read it. I haven't had time to read it because I quite recently found out about your foundation and the work you do, but uh, that is on my list of books to read. It's, uh, it's been highly recommended by, uh, by a common friend that the three of us have. Shout out to Aaron Turner. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Um, and we- no, go ahead, please. Well, we'll be happy to send you an ebook if you'd like it. We do have the we we have we're all doing time as an ebook. Just um, remind that, me later, and I'll send you a copy. That would be great. Thank you. And I also want to make sure I get a uh, if you have a link. I don't know if it's available on Amazon or where, but but if we can if you can give me that, I'll post it out so my uh, my, uh, my listeners can uh, can can uh, track down that book for themselves. Yeah. That would be great. Yes, we sell it on our website. I would say your listeners in Norway might do better by getting it from Amazon. I hate to do that because, you know, of course, we'd rather sell it directly. Yeah. But, uh, but international shipping is a huge issue for us. So yeah, if yeah. you're not in the U.S., you might, you know, I reluctantly recommend that you might get it from a, a more local source okay. to you. Okay. You know, uh, Sita, let me let me go back uh, to 1973. Uh, things are getting started. You've been to the prison in Indiana. Uh, how did the work of the Human Kindness Foundation spread from that one prison in Indiana to other? You know, how, I guess there's two questions. How did it spread and how far has it spread? Well, uh, at that time, uh the uh, invitations that we received to uh, to respond came from Be Here Now and Ramdas, uh, the the books that Ramdas had put into these prisons. So it all began with Ramdas's letters, people who were writing to him and Bo responding uh, to okay. them slowly. And then uh, he wrote a book called Inside Out very soon. Um, after that, based on his correspondence um, that he had had. I'm not actually sure of the date of uh, Inside Out, but it was it's such an organic project. It really started slowly and grew. I mean, it's 47 years now, so we started very, very slowly. Yeah. Um, and right now, I don't know, you tell me, Catherine, how many, how, how big a project are we at this point? We currently have around 30,000 people on our mailing list who are incarcerated and another maybe 4,000 who are not incarcerated. That is a lot of people. (laughs) 
Yes, it is. And they're spread all over. Now, we're physically based in North Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, but but within the U.S., that doesn't matter. Right. In other words, we're, ship, we're shipping the books anyway, and whether we're shipping them 10 miles down the road or all the way across the country is the same. Unfortunately, like I mentioned, it is harder for us to take care of the people who are not in the U.S. It's just a huge expense. We do we do have people from other countries on our mailing list, uh, just not near the numbers. Uh, and we also have translation. We have Spanish translations of three of our books. Oh, okay. So we are able to help people who do not speak English, at least in that one way. The, the, Bo's main book, We're All Doing Time, has been translated into several languages. But right now, as far as we know, there is only... Uh, Spanish and English, which we publish, and a, a volume in Dutch. In so, Dutch as well. Okay. Yes, yeah. and that one is still in print. Uh, but the others, there was a French and an Italian and a Portuguese, and those, as far as I know, are not in print. Okay. Um, so, so the. No, go ahead, please. Go ahead. Go ahead, please. So, uh, so as Catherine said, we uh, we've sent out almost a half a million of them. We have thirty thousand people on our mailing list uh, now. But through all these years, since nineteen eighty-five or six or seven, when the book was first came out, we've had sent out that many. And I I truly believe, John, that the way books are shared inside prisons, that more than a million people. People inside um, have read these books. Oh, for sure, absolutely. Um, you know, just thinking about all the time they spend in there. Of course, they're going to interact with one another, and if that book touches one person, they're I'm sure they're going to share it with another, and so on and so on. Absolutely, right? Yeah. Um, we get lots of interesting stories. Uh, we get sorry, we've got some kind of feedback going on. Try turning, okay? try turning your volume down. It could. It sounds like a volume feedback. There you go. Okay. Yeah, Is that better? That's, that's a lot better. Yeah. Okay. So we get great stories that illustrate what you just said. That. Um, that people find our book in all kinds of ways. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's fun to hear. Like, for example, they'll say, I found your book in the trash can. Or my, my cellmate had your book and he was using it as a doorstop for six months. And I finally decided to pick it up and read it. You know, things like that that are just kind of it supports what Sita was saying, that if, if the book goes to one person, it may get read by who knows how many others. But one of my favorite stories like that is there was a man in, in a Florida prison who actually physically came to see us. After he got released, he, he came to see us, uh, and he told us the story that he was, he was, and I assume is, a Christian, and he believed at first that his Christianity was telling him that this book was of the devil. This oh. was an interfaith book. It didn't fit his, what he had been taught to believe about his Christianity. So he had made it his mission in this prison in Florida to go around and throw away as many of those books as he could. Oh, so wow. he would take them out of the playroom or the library or the chaplain's office or wherever he might find those books and throw them away. And he had been doing that for quite some time. And he tells us when he came to visit that finally one day he, he thought, well, since I've made this my mission, I guess I should read this book and see kind of like know your enemy kind of thing. And so he read the book and he realized that it was not the enemy. And completely changed course at that point and started promoting the book instead of throwing it in the trash. Wow, now that's interesting. Isn't that great? That, yeah. That's fantastic. Well, that's a testimonial to the power of curiosity. You know? Yes. Uh, his, and and his, open-mindedness. I'm sorry? And open-mindedness. Yeah, yeah exactly. I was going to say that his curiosity led to an opening of his mind, which led to a new influx of information, and it totally changed his thought process. Interesting. And guidance. Yes, absolutely. Now, Sita, you you are, um, am I correct in saying you are the spiritual leader of the Human Kindness Foundation? Yes, that's right. Tell me what that entails. What is that function that you have then? Well, basically, we have uh, called this project a well-run mystical organization. 
Oh. And uh, so I believe uh, at this point that uh, that it's really my my work and my uh, you know to to remain guided and to make sure that it doesn't you know that we don't just become a well run uh, organization uh, you know sending out books et cetera et cetera that we stay with that mystical edge and we do that through through the books that Bo wrote, but, and through our newsletters as well. We send out three newsletters a year and Catherine and I work, uh, work together on putting out a newsletter, um, put a lot of energy into it. So I, I would say that it's my, uh, it's my work and my love to, uh, continue seeing that it, that we are a mystical well-run organization. Okay, so how, how, how can you explain that then? What does that mean to be, explain the mystical part. What does that mean to be a mystical organization? Because mystery implies a lack of information or a lack of knowledge for those who are on the outside looking in or on the outside perhaps wanting to come in. Says the skeptic. That's not, I'm kind of playing the devil's advocate. No, I can hear you. Well, I would say a basis of our organization is um, and uh, and what we saw as our motive when we began is connected to spiritual transformation, is that people can look at that part of their lives. You know, uh, they can they can get the other part of their lives together in a more practical way, but to begin to open spiritually to the universe. So that's how I would describe that. Do you have anything more to say about that, Catherine? Uh, I certainly agree with what you said. I will add that um, we do mean it, which means that we we have some practices and traditions that help us remember it. For example, when we have board meetings, and in the United States, a nonprofit is legally governed by a board. Uh, in, in other words, the day-to-day operations, Sita and I can just agree with each other and move on. But from a legal standpoint and an oversight standpoint, we have this board of directors. Yeah. Uh, so when the board of directors meets, we start every meeting. We do a brief meditation together, and then we say what we call an invocation, which is very short and simple. And it is, may we collectively intuit God's will for Human Kindness Foundation. That sets the tone and helps us remember that we're not just there to look at numbers. We have to be responsible. We're taking donors' money, and so, of course, we have to be responsible for how it gets spent and that it gets documented in all the legal ways, etc. We just don't want to get completely lost in that and forget that we're also a spiritual organization and that we're not coming into this just to, you know, build up our salaries or build up a an endowment that will last forever or whatever, uh, we might work towards some of those goals, uh, but only if it feels like God's will. That's just a beautiful sentiment. And I think it's come shining through that the Human Kindness Foundation is there to help people build upon their spirituality so that they can change their lives for the better. How successful would you say the Human Kindness Foundation is at doing that? Wow, that's a great question. That's, um, I believe that we are incredibly successful. And I will again refer back to something Bo used to say. Uh, there was one man that we knew well while he was incarcerated. And then when he was released, this is going back quite a few years, but when he was released, he came and stayed with us for a while. We, we don't have that cap. Uh, capacity anymore but at the time we had a place where we could let him come and live with us and work with us Uh, his name was Michael and Bo used to say if Michael is the only one we ever touched it was worth all of it because Michael mattered that much and you could fill in a different name of course there are others that we could point to Uh, but if one person who was in deep suffering and deep layers of unhealthiness spiritually and emotionally healed and transformed and became a person of service and kindness in the world. 
that would be enough. Now, luckily, Sita and I could name off way more people. You know, we could spend this <laughs> whole sure. hour telling you about yeah. some of the wonderful people like Michael yeah. who did change their lives. Yeah. Uh, but we also do believe that if we're following God's will, like we work to do, and we can point to even one, then we've done our job. Uh, now, we also have other ways that we could say we're successful. For example, there might be a person who writes to us and gets our books and does not experience the drastic, absolute, total transformation of their lives that Michael did. But that day that they received that book, they knew somebody in the world cared about them. They knew that that letter they sent had been answered. So it's almost as if every little thing you do is a success to some degree. Well, I don't know if I'd go quite that far, but we have plenty of we have plenty of um, examples. Yes, and they can be that small success, like oh, somebody cared. Exactly. Even if I never read this book, all the way up to total transformation. Yeah. And no, also, I, I want to. There are some things we do that don't work so well. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to tell you about a conversation I had with Ramdas, and maybe it was about ten years ago when he asked me a similar question about the success of Human Kindness Foundation, and uh, and I told him at the time I, I think as a result of our project and our books and our work. Um, that when people get out and also inside, it's not like they're going to necessarily uh, continue on the spiritual path, go to church or meditate or any of those kind of things. Yeah. But I truly, truly believe in my deepest heart that a lot of the people we have touched are going to stop hurting people, which is a big thing considering so much of the suffering that, you know, what their backgrounds yeah, look like. Yeah. From what I've seen in the type of work that I've done throughout my adult, uh, adult years, the people who learn to love themselves, they also will learn to love others. So they're, mm-hmm. they're lashing out, they're, they're hurting of others, they're, 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 their criminality disappears when they learn to love themselves, when they learn to find some mm-hmm. value, some sort of value in their life. And that's why I, I said to you uh, just a minute ago, Catherine, that it seems as if almost every little thing you do is successful because the simple gesture of getting uh, uh, one of your books or your newsletter can tell an inmate that, wow, some, somebody thought of me, somebody cares. Yeah. And that yes. can be life changing yeah, exactly. for that inmate. Yes. Yeah. One of our mentors, one of our mentors uh, said to us, uh, don't forget, Sita, that most of what you're doing inside prisons is letting people know you care about them. You know, just as Catherine said, that's most of what this project's about. I I can only imagine how lost a lot of inmates feel, lost and hopeless. Um... How do I how do I put this? Our, our criminal justice system is quite effective. I mean, it puts people in jail and in prison, but there is an element of unfairness uh, that is huge. Yes, that has been in place for for far too long, and there is a reason for the importance for organizations such as yours. In the midst of all of that unfairness, all of that in uh, that injustice, the smallest gesture can be a transformative uh, moment for that exactly. for that incarcerated person. Now, yeah. most most of your are are most of your um, inmates that you that you deal with men or women, or is it a good mix? It's a mix. Uh, certainly there are more men incarcerated yes. in the U.S. than there are women. Yeah. Um, but we do get we do get mail from both. And we don't seek people out. We respond to who writes to us. So, uh, so sometimes people mouth. will ask. 
Yes, and of course the book has been circulating for so long, and we have other books too, but the one we've mentioned, We're All Doing Time, has been circulated for so long, and it always includes our address and says, you know, if you'd like your own copy, write to this address. So um, we don't, you know, when people say, well, will you work with women? We work with whoever writes to us. We we, uh, respond in that way. Interesting. I wanted to go back, John, to you just said um, that part about touching people and just not letting them know we care. I am remembering a phone call I had with the sister of someone who was in prison. And, you know, she, it was just a routine phone call. She's telling me about her brother and giving me his name and his address. And I'm just taking the information. We're going to send him the books. Um, but, of course, we're chatting a little at the same time. And I had just taken his name. I had it right in front of me. So I said something about Anthony. I just, you know, mentioned to her, said something about Anthony, her brother. She burst into tears. And when she got enough composure to speak again, she said, no one ever calls him by his name. Wow. No one ever talks to him, talks to me about him and uses his name. Mm -hmm. So that was a simple yet powerful gesture. Yes. And so I want to invite you to consider, and I'm absolutely not perfect at this. uh, Language is a hard thing to change habits around. Um, Still, I'd like to invite you to think about, instead of using the word inmate, uh, use people first language, uh, which we're working on. And and like I said, we are not perfect. We still have materials that go out that don't use language. Um, But I find it a useful exercise for myself to uh, instead of saying inmate or prisoner to say a person who's incarcerated or a person on our mailing list or or some other way of phrasing that Um, because like you said in in this country at least i can't speak for other countries but in the u.s there is so much inequity there are so many reasons people get incarcerated that have little or nothing to do with criminal behavior uh, sometimes, often, there is a final criminal act, but it's no worse. In fact, often it's way less severe than people who are not incarcerated who are doing. In, a, in other words, you might $20 and become incarcerated in this country where someone else is stealing thousands of dollars and get with it. So I just like to remember in a very active way that these are people, these are Americans, these are citizens, and we have been so in the habit of demonizing them culturally and believing that, well, if you're in prison, it's because you did something really bad. And that's just not true. I can definitely get on board with with, uh, changing my my vocabulary and uh, referring to them as uh, people who are uh, incarcerated rather than calling them an inmate or a prisoner. Absolutely. Um, I see the importance in that. I see how that can change. Uh, you know, people are affected according to how they are addressed by society. Absolutely. So I can definitely get on board with that. I am also one who believes that there is way too much injustice in our so-called, and I say so-called justice system. It, uh, it needs to be fixed. It should have been fixed decades ago and it's 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 an open wound on america it's an open wound on america and um but because of organizations like yours it 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 shines a light it helps to shine a light on that problem thank you do you do you ladies get tired do you get frustrated do you get uh, you know how do you keep your how do you keep your motivation up how do you keep that drive you know this foundation has been going for what 40 47 years that's right so how how do you keep fighting how do you keep moving forward how do you keep reaching out to the people who need you well, I want to share with you a practice that Ramdas uh, gave us when we first began this um, project in 73. Um, he said that our work would be maintaining a balance yeah. between the snow on top of the mountain, which is the perfection of everything in God's universe, just that it's perfect. 
and the blood at our feet, which is the suffering, the immense suffering in the world. So the it's it's been probably my main practice all these years is really trying to stay right in the middle. If I if I stay too much in the perfection, I'm too aloof. And if I stay if I suffer too much reading a letter or whatever, um, I'm not able to really help um, that person who was incarcerated who who wrote to us for spiritual guidance. So my work is is really trying to maintain that balance. And um, Catherine can vouch for me. I don't get burned out. I've been doing this for a really, really long time. And um, I feel uh, immense joy in uh, taking a stack of letters and reading them each day, just about every day. And, uh, and responding um, to the people who have written to us. You know, there's so, much, there's, there's so much hope in those letters. And, um, and I try to be in the universe of that person, you know, when I open and read that yes. letter. So that's my response uh, to your question. So, so the, when the, to, to, to keep the question simple, um, do you get tired? And to keep the answer simple, no, you don't get tired. <laughs> the motivation uh, is in. The I motiv- never rest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do, uh, you know, I do rest. <laughs> I'm 70, I'm seven, I'll be 76 next month. Uh. And, um, and I do rest. Um, but, um, but mostly it fills me with energy, John. I mean, it really does to be able to be doing this. I can hardly believe how fortunate I am to be able uh, to be opening this mail and being with these people. So that fire was lit. That fire was lit back in 73 and it's still burning. Amen. (laughs) Amen, my friend. You know, that's, a, that's the first time I've heard. Now, people have written amen on different posts on, on social media that, I, that I've been involved in. But that's the first amen I've heard in months, probably. So thank you for that. <laughs> I'm going to say Sita is absolutely telling the truth about herself. When she does go on vacation, she, when she gets back, she cannot wait. And uh, I almost... I almost like try to not give her the whole stack of mail that has piled up while she's been gone because she'll sit down and blow through the whole thing. And you know, I, I want to encourage her to rest and to come back in a little more slowly, but she is that excited about, about reading those letters and answering that mail. And that's very genuine. I've been working with Steve last See, I've only been doing this work for 20 years. <laughs> so, <laughs> but in that 20 years, I have seen that Sita is, that is who she is. That is what she does. And, and she has a fresh energy for the male every single day. That's just, uh, that is just such a wonderful thing to, to sit and think on, uh, that someone could be doing this type of work for so long and touch so many lives. And I'm talking about both of you, you know, 20 years for you, Catherine, uh, 47 years for you, Sita. It's just, it's just amazing and, and, and quite fortunate. Uh, it's a blessing to be able to do that kind of work for, for, for so long. We do feel very fortunate. Yeah. Ah, it's just, it, it's beautiful. Um, let me, let me ask you this. Are there, struggles to fund your foundation is that ever is that ever an issue uh it's it's a it's a something that we work on I, i wouldn't say we struggle with it exactly um we have been incredibly fortunate as an organization to have some very loyal long time support and we keep our expenses very low. You're looking at almost the entire staff of Human Kindness Foundation right now, Sita and I. And uh, we have one other who is, has only been with us a little over a year. Uh, oh, she's such a gift. Uh, she's our operations manager and um, has sworn me to like not 
call her out. So, <laughs> but I have <laughs> little, to do anyway. She's, she's just amazing. She's so helpful and wonderful. Uh, and after 20 years of certain tasks having been done by me, it is just so exciting to see someone else doing them. So, um, so anyway, she's almost full time, and Sita and I both. Uh, so that's really less than three full time equivalent, serving 30,000 people, and. Um, we keep our other expenses quite low also. Postage and printing, we can't keep low. That's that's the main heart of our work, postage and printing. Um, but everything else stays pretty low. And like I said, we have some very loyal support now. We are experiencing that an organization that's been going for more than 45 years, some of our donors are, are aging out. Yeah. You know, they're either dying or they're you know, becoming incapacitated or they're moving on in whatever way. So we do have to work on how do we reach new people and how do that you go about, care enough to support. And how do you go about that? How, how does that work manifest itself? We don't really know yet, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, so far, we trust. We have a lot of trust, and, we, and it has worked out. And we, uh, I was, before the pandemic hit, I was doing some local networking in the Durham-Chapel Hill area of North Carolina. Uh, I was reaching out to um, people here close by. Traditionally, our support has been spread out all over the country, just like our service is. Yeah. Um, but of course it's, it's hard to do networking nationally. So I was doing some of that locally until everything shut down. Uh, and we do have support from some local churches and some other faith organizations. And we trust that people care and people will keep getting attracted to our work. And we also need to come up with some, you know, more active strategies that we haven't quite gotten there yet. I think it would be a big challenge, but a, but a, wor- a challenge that would be worthy of of uh, of your focus. Not that I'm trying to tell you what to do. Don't don't get me wrong here. But I think there is this this whole thing uh, that's going around in America where people have such a harsh way of thinking about people who are incarcerated. You know, they did this wrong, they got caught, and now they're being punished. Forget them. And that's very mildly said. People say say yes. that a lot, a lot harsher. Right. Um, could it be something to look into when it comes to trying to change people's perception of people who are incarcerated? Shine a light on their situation. Shine a light on their humanity. Is that an idea? And how could that be done in practical terms? Are you familiar with Brian Stevenson? No, he's no, no. An, he's oh you you need to know about him. He is wonderful. He is a, a lawyer in uh, in the U.S. He's based in Montgomery, Alabama, and in New York City. Uh, and he wrote the book called Just Mercy, which has recently been made into an amazing movie. What was his name? So Brian, Brian, Stevenson, Brian Stevenson. Brian Stevenson. And the book was called. He's uh, Just Mercy. Just Mercy. Okay. The book is excellent. The movie is excellent. Um, so Brian talks about the way to change the world, and he has four points, four important points, things that have to happen to change the world, and one of the four is change the narrative. And I believe that that's the one we most work on, change the narrative. When people encounter Human Kindness Foundation, people who are not incarcerated encounter Human Kindness Foundation, they begin to learn about the humanity uh, of people that they might have formerly called criminals. Um, They begin to hear the stories. They begin to see the artwork Uh, on our website and on our social media. We share artwork from people behind bars, they, if they're open to it and begin to connect with Human Kindness Foundation, they can, they at least have the opportunity to open their hearts to people who are behind bars. And yeah. to me, that is our work to help change the narrative. I mean, of course, our primary work is directed to the people behind bars that are getting our materials and we hope really transforming their lives. Uh, but also important is that we're helping to change the narrative. 
that's a pretty big task, though, because that um, that callousness is pretty well embedded in the psyche of America. That callousness towards people who are incarcerated. Um, so that's a big job to change that to 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 scrape away that callousness. Um, do you see the need to? Um, bring in some more people into the organization, you know, uh, to, to do that work is, uh, do you, do you have enough people, do you have enough hands in the pot the way it is now? Well, so far, uh, we as an organization have chosen to stay small. We don't believe we have to change the narrative all by ourselves. There are lots of organizations doing great work. Brian Stevenson's organization, Equal Justice Initiative, they're doing large-scale work. I mean, they just had a mass-marketed Hollywood movie come out, this movie Just Mercy. So they're doing really big-picture change-the-narrative work. Uh, They've also created a monument in Montgomery, Alabama that is bringing thousands of people to Montgomery to to commemorate the terrible history of lynching in this country. Yes. So his organization is having this very huge, uh, large-scale impact Ours is not. I mean, ours is having huge impact in individuals' lives. I see. Um, yes. But we're not reaching millions and millions of people every year. No. We're reaching no. tens of thousands of people every year. And so far, we have chosen that that is our job. That's what God has called us to do. That could change. We have an infrastructure that could be added onto if if we're led that direction, if the board decided that it wanted to put the energy that way. Um, and I will say what we're already doing is we're supporting other organizations uh, where we don't feel like we have to take on all of the work ourselves. Right. Yeah. But we do, when, again, when led, we, we combine with other organizations. For example, Human Kindness Foundation is a member of a coalition in our county. And that coalition is about... Um, racial justice and learning the history of racial injustice locally and nationally. And I've been very involved with that organization since its beginning about a year and a half ago. Uh, So in that sense, Human Kindness Foundation isn't taking on a whole new project, but we are helping that work get done in the county. Well, there's the power of networking uh, and the importance of networking. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. In the old days, uh, when Bo would go on a prison tour, he would visit churches as well when invited and, um, and give his talk. I mean, I'm sure he has helped many people uh, regarding the narrative uh, in that way. And, um, you know, it might happen again that our, uh, that our board of directors and that we, as an organization, we talk about the possibility of sending somebody around for that purpose. I've been yeah. thinking about that, Catherine. This is the first time I'm telling you that. <laughs> Re- revealed, revealed for the first time on the Coming Home podcast. <laughs> well, no, that would be uh, that would be quite a uh, step to take to have that spokesperson who is out there, you know, uh, hitting the streets and spreading the word of what you all are doing. And visiting churches yeah. is one way to do it. I sure. mean, yeah. Jesus spoke about this. Absolutely, yes, you he know. did. Yes, Jesus he did. spoke about this, and um, and it's it's such a, a lovely idea to welcome somebody getting out of prison to uh, to a specific congregation. Anyway, it's something I've been thinking about. Let, let me ask Again. you about let me ask you about that uh, that step <clears throat> once. A person is no longer incarcerated uh, because a lot, of course, a lot of you, the work that you all are doing is for those people while they're incarcerated. But what happens when they get out? What kind of follow up can you offer for those people? Any follow up or guidance? Well, to us, the same guidance that works while you're inside prison works once you're out. Uh, we do lose touch with a lot of people. And frankly, that is sometimes just because they don't have a stable address. And most of what we do happens through the mail. Um, but when they do keep us informed about their address and, and want to stay in touch, 
they can stay on our mailing list exactly as if they were still in prison. They can request our free books exactly as if they were still in prison. They can, now that they're out, they can have easier access to call or email us. So they can stay in touch that way if they want to. Um, So we we really don't feel like there's a giant difference. Okay. Um, so if yeah. so if if someone calls you what can what 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 kind of things are they asking for what kind of help do they need Well they need everything people coming out of prison unless they happen to have very strong family support they need everything and especially if they've been inside for a very long time uh, for example people who've been locked up for 20 years or more oh. they don't know how to use the internet they Imagine don't know how to that. pump gas. Think about it. I mean, it. think yeah. about it. Yeah. The things that change gradually for us, that this person is coming into not a gradual change, and they might not know how to buy groceries or, yeah. or pump gas or use a bank or any of the basics. So, so people need all kinds of help. What we offer as an organization, now, we'll usually try to connect. I'm sorry, you faded out. Can you hear me now? Now I can hear you, yeah, yeah. Okay. So when someone calls and they ask about those practical concerns, what we can do is try to connect them with another organization that works with that sort of thing. For example, Back to the networking, uh, yes. Yeah. Right, back to the networking. And they're not usually calling from our area since we serve people all over the country. All over the country, yeah. They might be calling us from the West Coast, so we can't really help them find a job or a place to live. But we hope, and always successful, but we hope we can connect them with a more hands-on service kind of organization where they are. Um, but the main thing that we can offer uh, is what you're getting right now. Just talk to Sita, you yeah. know, and yeah. and just have a little time with someone telling you that she loves you and she knows you can do this and you know that kind of interaction that kind of warm loving interaction and people can call us to get that and and again that is a that is such a meaningful thing for some of these people who may have been incarcerated for decades um and they have forgotten that there are people who can care about them and then just yes. to hear those words from, from you. Let, let me ask you, Sita, are, are there any opportunities for people to come directly to you for mentoring? Well, certainly not while a pandemic is going on. Right. Uh, we don't even have any of our, we don't even have any volunteers in the office. It's just me okay. in the office and, okay. and our operations manager. But, um, but I would say because of my age and the amount of work that we have, I definitely uh, continue recommending uh, that they find something local. Yes. That they actually come and, you know, I certainly encourage people to see how they can help out in the world uh, and to do it locally. So I'm, as Catherine said, I'm completely willing to have a conversation with them about anything, but it's usually in that direction. I see. I see. You know, what I would love to see, this is wishful thinking, but I'm an optimist, so I believe this could happen. I would like to see that figure, that person, man or woman, rise up on a national level and have a call to action. A call to action where if you are able, if you have the stability in your own life, the strength and the knowledge in your own life, stand forward and offer some sort of mentoring for people who are not as fortunate. Mm. Wouldn't that be a great national movement if people who, if people could just give maybe one day a week for maybe one hour to sit, maybe not in person, but on a telephone with someone who needs advice on life guidance of some sort. Yeah. You know, lovely. Yes. What the, what the Human Kindness Foundation is doing is, to me, so inspiring. It, should, it, needs to be, it needs to be bigger than what it is. And I could see people taking what the Human, Ki- Human Kindness Foundation does and take it on an individual level. What can you do as an individual 
to help someone who is in need. And it doesn't have to be something that's measurable in dollars and cents. You don't have to give away money, but sometimes just giving away some advice, giving away some, some guidance on issues that people need help with. Well, and John, to, to just um, speak up a little bit for some positive trends that happened in this country, I absolutely agree with you that our cultural uh, narrative or our cultural sort of atmosphere has been very harsh. We seem to be punitive. so callous. We seem to be so callous yes. now. Yes, but there is a very strong movement to reverse that, and there are a lot of people working on just what you were talking about. There's a pretty widespread movement called Circles of Support, and that's usually handled by a local organization. It's usually faith-based, but these Circles of Support will be four to six people who create a circle that includes one person coming straight out of incarceration. And they really act kind of just as friends. They, uh-huh. they uh, for example, a friend of mine is in one of those circles, and one of the things she has done with her partner who came out of prison is she, she took him to the library and showed him how to Google something. And, you know, he was just fascinated. He had never Googled anything and didn't have any clue how to start doing that. So she, you know, that simple thing, which was fun for her, uh, really was a big help to him. So things like that, where it's it's a, truly a circle of friends, and what do you do with your friends? You help them when you can. Sure. It's a series so, of small, um, it's a series of small gestures over time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so people can be pen pals if they want to, or they could join one of those circles if they have a local organization doing that. Uh, we do, uh, although we don't manage it ourselves, we do hear from many people who teach inside uh, their local prison or jail. And when I say teach, they could be teaching anything. Usually if they contact us, it's because they're teaching meditation. Okay. But we encourage them, whatever it is you love, if you love... Uh, you know, sewing or reading books or discussing politics or basket weaving, go in and share that with people because what you're really doing is sharing yourself. And so we, we have, for example, a PDF guide on our website about how to get started if you want to volunteer in your local prison or jail. Uh, So in those ways, we are, again, background supportive. We're not managing it. We don't set up the times. We don't, you know, we don't decide who gets to go in, who doesn't get to go in. Let's give some materials, make those materials available so that if any individual wants to pursue that, they have a little bit of a place to start. Just put the information out there and trust the people to pick it up and run with it. Yeah. That's a great concept. Very, very easy to enforce that. <laughs> you know, you just put the information. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah. It's, it's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a bigger organization, but for us, we have never felt led to do that. Well, there's um, a lot of, never... I, can, I can see a lot of effectiveness in the simplicity. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so that's what that's where we have landed. Again, it could change in the future, but right now and in, in, in our history, uh, we have mostly decided to keep it pretty simple. We know what we know how to do this <laughs> and we've been doing it for a long time. And so this is what we're doing. Yeah. So it, it's I would imagine that you're still able to do the work. Almost unaffected by covid. Um, you know, in that you're such a small organization or, or are there challenges because of COVID? Well, there are some practical challenges. Sita mentioned we're not having our volunteers come in yeah. right now. And, and we traditionally have leaned very heavily on volunteer help. Okay. In fact, I started, when I say I've been doing this for 20 years, I started as a full-time volunteer. Uh, mm-hmm. For six years, I was a volunteer. So, um, we have traditionally used a lot of volunteer help, and right now we're not having any volunteer help in person. Now, some people are still 
you know, writing to people and so on and picking yeah, and that, things and up from our office. I guess that's mostly what I was thinking of is that, that thing about having the correspondence between the people who are incarcerated and your organization that can be done from home is what I was thinking. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yes. So, uh, for example, CETA and our operations manager are working harder right now because they have to do all the packaging themselves because that can't really be done from home. You know, we have this giant warehouse full of books <sighs> You have to be there to package those books to send out to individuals. So Sita and Kristen are working really hard right now. I'm working remotely. Okay. Um, and we have figured out, more recently, we figured out how to have a little bit of volunteer help without endangering anyone. Uh, but that's all a minor, in some ways, minor uh, practical challenge. But overall, you're right. Our work has not been interrupted at all. Okay, good, good. Well, I, you know, I live on the. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. I was just going to say I live on the property of Human Kindness Foundation. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah. Yes, I do. Um, um, Bo built us a little home, and uh, and I rent it from Human Kindness Foundation, and so it's easy for me to just uh, walk over this tiny little bridge over to the office, and. Um, uh, that's the way it continues. Oh, that's fantastic. I also love uh, being able to work from home. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a position of luxury, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. I, I have to tell you, I have really enjoyed having this talk. I think your, your, um, your foundation is doing some very important work. It's fascinating. Uh, and I thank you all for letting me shine a light on what you do. I, I thank you both from my heart for being guests on my podcast. Thanks for Thank inviting you. us, John. Yeah, we, we appreciate you spreading the word. And of course, we hope that people who hear you um, will go to our website, maybe sign on for our newsletter. Uh, and we do need support. So of course, we'd appreciate it if people feel moved to donate. However, the most important thing is, like we said, changing the narrative in their own hearts. We hope people will consider where they're still holding on to that uh, intolerance for people who are locked up for all kinds of reasons that they're well, locked up. Let's just try and wear down that callousness with love. Put some love yes, on that callousness sir. and wear it down. Amen again. That's two amens. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Real quick, let me put your website out there. It is humankindnessfoundation.org. Am I correct? No, it's just, it's just humankindness.org. 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 Everybody who's listening, please go in on humankindness.org. Uh, look at what these fantastic ladies uh, and their cohorts are doing. It's beautiful work. It's important work. Check it out, people. Uh, thanks again, ladies. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. And thank you all for listening. Bye, everybody. I'm coming home. Yes, I am. Yes, I'm coming home. I'm coming home.